Well, thank you all for tuning into the Bird Nerd Book Club. I am happy to welcome Colin Beale, author of 101 Curious Tales of East Africa Birds, which debuts June 6, 2023, and is published by Pelagic Publishing. Welcome. Would you please tell everyone about yourself? Oh, thank you very much, Hannah. Um, I am, as you say, Colin Beale. I'm a professor of ecology and conservation biology at the University of York in the UK. Um, and I've been enjoying birding and researching and traveling in East Africa uh, on and off over the last 25 years, uh, one way or another. Well, so that's amazing. I wish uh, I wish I was able to get over to Africa that much. Um, so you are in York, but you you know work down in East Africa. So tell us a little bit about your book itself. Uh, right. So the, the book is as uh, called, as you said, one hundred and one curious tales of East African birds, um, and it's uh, a gentle introduction to tropical ornithology. Uh, that's its subtitle, and that was what it was intended to be. Um, and I wanted to write a book that is not uh, a field guide. It's only about 101 birds, and there are well over a thousand species that you could find in East Africa. Um, and it's not a textbook because it's not definitive in that way either. It's really just the tales uh, about interesting birds that I love to share. And I find that the more I know about these birds, the more I enjoy seeing them and watching them uh, and hunting for them. Well, so I really love how you start off your book with, um, and I'm quoting here, this is not a typical bird book. It's more like a random stream of consciousness you get if you sit me down, hand me a cold beer and ask me about the birds I've learned to love in East Africa. So um, is that really what inspired you? Did someone sit you down with a beer and say, hey, write a book with everything you're about to tell me? <laughs> uh, it wasn't quite like that. Um, it, it was a, actually uh, a, the inspiration for what made me do it in the end was lockdown, uh, COVID lockdown. I was sitting at home and knowing that I wasn't going to be getting back to um, Tanzania or East Africa for a long time. Um, and I just thought, well, I'm going to go completely stir crazy if I'm only allowed outside for an hour a, uh, a day. Uh, I may as well at least look at some of the pictures that, that I've gathered over the last decades in Tanzania. And then I wanted to share those. So I, I found a, a bunch of pictures that I've taken and I thought, okay, what would be the story I would tell about this bird if I was going to do it? And I started off on Twitter uh, that way. Every afternoon for um, several months, I just posted a very short story based around a picture of a bird that I happened to have. Uh, and by the end of the summer, uh, when we were allowed back out and things were sort of getting a bit more normal again, I discovered I had 160 of them, uh, something like that, and thought, oh, maybe there's a story, maybe there's a book here. <laughs> uh, and um, the the stories had originally come, I think, because I'd, I'd been involved in a, quite a bit of safari guide training uh, in Tanzania. Um, and the guides always wanted to know more stories. So many of them are, are pretty good at the identification of birds. Um, and they've all got fantastic stories about mammals and things. But when they got to birds, they just say, well, that's a red-tailed whatever it is uh, and nothing more. And I thought, well, that's really disappointing because there's so many exciting stories that come with these birds. And so a lot of these stories were researched really to help guides come up with interesting stories about the birds that they see fairly regularly. Uh, and then they've got much more to talk about with their clients when they're traveling around there. And so 
um, having that opportunity to write down some of these things and research them a bit more fully, inspired by the pictures that I, I had, uh, was really fun. And it just kept me a little bit more sane than it would have done uh, otherwise for those months. That's a really interesting twist. I like that. Um, so how does that, uh, how does your work, you know, incorporate with going to, to East Africa? Uh, so probably about half of my research is based in East Africa. Um, and I'm interested in everything from the movements of individual animals uh, and birds to the patterns of biodiversity on a grand scale, uh, as well as the, the conservation ecology of these things. So I've had projects over the last few years where we've been tagging uh, vultures in southern Tanzania and watching how they feed and forage across the landscapes and then go on enormous uh, journeys across the whole continent, uh, just exploring and then return back to base at the end. Um, and I've had projects looking at uh, elephant conservation. We, we also work on uh, issues around poaching um, and uh, wild meat trade. Um, and I'm, I'm working quite a lot on restoration of degraded savannas, uh, as well as the ways in which savannas function uh, within healthy uh, ecosystems. So I've had fantastic excuses over the last 20 years to really get to know the savannas and the, the habitats and landscapes of East Africa. Uh, and I'm always there with my binoculars. Birds are my first love. Um, everything else follows because it needed doing one way or another. Well, that's some really cool uh, research that you're doing. If you're ever looking for grad students, I will sign up for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, of over a thousand different species, as you mentioned, that occur in that area, how did you come up with 101? Like what, what made you pick those ones? Uh, so it was really the ones that I had uh, nice pictures to hand originally um, that I could find a picture and tell a story about. Uh, and actually, I found it really quite fun because sometimes I got pictures of birds. That I thought, well, what, could, what story goes with this one? It's a bit bit of an ordinary one. <laughs> um, I'm not a brilliant photographer at all. Um, and so the birds that I had pictures of that were half decent, uh, I tend to be really common species that you see quite a lot. And so I thought, well, these are the ones that actually you should be able to tell stories about if that's what you want to do. Um, so these are all birds that you're really likely to encounter on a trip to Tanzania, uh, with very few exceptions. Um, and some of them I, I used as inspiration for stories that tell you something about birds in general. I could have swapped for quite a few other species. Um, so there are there are stories about bird sight, for example, that I, I chose to use raptors for, and I could have chosen a, a European species if I wanted that story. Um, there are some that are absolutely specific to the, the birds of East Africa. So some of the stories about um, ostriches and things like that, are about behavior of things that you're not gonna find anywhere else. Uh, and then some of them are more general. The bird just makes me think about a bigger picture story. So maybe, um, why duetting and different types of bird song are much more common in Africa than they are in in Europe uh, or North America say why why do tropical species tend to have more duetting songs and things like that so those three different areas uh, were what I was thinking about and each time I came across a picture of a bird I thought okay I've got got one of this where could I find a story what would be there um, and there's always something interesting the more you look at them the more interesting they become yeah, so what were some of the resources that you used to come up with these stories? 
Uh, well, because I am uh, a scientist, I have the the privilege and uh, of access to uh, all of the world's literature. Uh, so each one of the stories has footnotes that links to the original scientific research papers uh, that describe the the story, the details of it. Uh, and I've tried to write it in a way that is much more accessible than having to plow through those papers themselves. But uh, I have that resource uh, as, a, as a researcher myself. So that's great. Yeah, as someone, I, I was formerly a, a naturalist in uh, state parks in, in the US. And I definitely appreciate situations like that, where I don't have to, you know, muddle through all of the scientific research to be able to find those really interesting facts that you can share with folks. So I know that is going to be a, such a great resource to um, the, you know, the guides that you work with and other folks. Um, so tell me about some of your favorite adventures you've had in birding in that region of the world. Uh, well, there's so much, so much to tell, really. <laughs> um, I, I, I am always birding. It, it's sort of 24-hour uh, thing for me. <laughs> if I'm awake, I'm birding one way or another. Um, and so many of my adventures, I guess, are um, associated as much with the research work that I've been doing, uh, which isn't always focused on birds, uh, but then the birds happen around them. So I think the most amazing uh, opportunities that I've had in um, East African research that I've been doing recently has been work on fire. Uh, and we've been able to light experimental fires with the, the the managers in World Heritage Sites. So I get to burn World Heritage Sites, which is quite fun. Um, and when you do this, sometimes the, you set a really large grass fire um, as part of the management cycle. And then suddenly a huge flock of banded martins appear from nowhere and they'll forage up and down the front of the, the smoke and you're sort of surrounded by a swirling mass of birds and they're there for 10 minutes and and then they've gone and they go somewhere else and then then the marabous come and they're, they're huge stalks and they'll come down while I'm in the middle of my uh, research busy recording how fire spreads and what's going on and uh, uh, and how hot it is and things like that and there's there's hundreds of marabous suddenly descending and eating the the fried uh, and toasted grasshoppers and things that, that didn't quite manage to escape. And so it's all that sort of total immersion experience that I, I have had an amazing privilege to do. Um, I, I guess some of the other uh, adventures have, have not been, I, I wouldn't say my favourite as such, <laughs> but I, I have, um, I was arrested as a spy for a few days uh, oh, wow. at one time, which was... Um, interesting it's very hard to convince uh the, anyone that you're not a spy because obviously you'd say no I'm not a spy <laughs> and so um yeah I was out in um the wrong place at the wrong time with a pair of binoculars uh birding away and uh the army came um and uh escorted me back to their base where they thought oh this is a crazy foreigner uh we'll we'll let him go but uh things sort of spiraled out of control and uh i ended up having four days in in the the local police um cells which wasn't uh, th there's better places to stay in tanzania <laughs> but it was quite a good story and then um yeah for the next two years i wasn't able to leave tanzania uh while they sorted things out so i had quite a an adventure there one way or another until i totally convinced them that i was really who i said i was and what i was doing um 
it was a uh, yeah interesting adventures there's always something new around the corner in Tanzania so now do you like carry documentation with you from the university saying I am supposed to be here for this sort of thing well uh actually I, I got a uh what finally solved the problem was a, a letter from the president's office saying, oh, this is Dr. Beale and his research is fantastic uh, and really important to the future of Tanzania. And each time I come into Tanzania, uh, something flashes up on the, the immigration screen of the, the passport control and they say, oh, welcome back, Dr. Beale. Uh, it's a very pleasant experience now. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a, a, an unfortunate event, but it did... It, it, so so many Tanzanian uh, colleagues of mine know this story and uh, are um, so embarrassed <laughs> about the way uh, that I was treated that it's it's been a, a really good um, it, introduction for lots of people and uh, yeah opened lots of doors in other ways. So <laughs> I don't really regret it. It was <laughs> it was unpleasant at the time, um, but uh, yeah, there's lots. I've dined out on it for a long time. <laughs> Uh, so what ex unexpected things did you uncover while researching this book? Uh, again, so many, so many stories. Um, I think that uh, they probably fall into different, different types again. So the, the first, um, the very first story in the book actually uh, was, I, I had to completely rewrite it at proof stage uh, after the, the, the book had been, was on, on its way to publication because uh, a new paper came out and said, oh, everything we thought before, no, that's all wrong. Wow. <laughs> uh, and so that was a story about um, tropical birds being colorful. And until last summer, when, when that latest paper came out, we thought that actually tropical birds on average aren't more colorful than other uh, the birds elsewhere. Um, it's just that there are more species in the tropics. And so you get more colorful birds uh, and you see them more often and you think oh there must be more of them but there are just as many dull ones but then actually just last summer uh, um, the much more comprehensive analysis of this uh, has happened and suddenly it does turn out that actually there are more tropical birds and more of them are more tropical uh, are more colorful and involve more colors more contrasting colors and uh, a wider variety than than in the temperate zones um, and so now we've got to rethink about why was all of that? What's behind that pattern? Um, uh, and then there are other stories that I guess I knew in part that uh, I'd always been telling. And then when I actually started digging in in much more depth, I discovered there was much more excitement and amazing uh, thing than, than you imagined. So, um, for example, there, uh, the hammercop is a an East African bird. It looks a bit like a sort of cross between a heron and a stork. Um, and it's a, a wetland species, and it loves making nests. Uh, it makes enormous nests that weigh sort of 40 or 50 kilos. Um, uh, and it, it, it takes about 8,000 deliveries of twigs and mud and things to build an individual nest. Uh, and they're huge, and they're a really prominent feature of many landscapes. And, and I knew that these were a weird thing. I thought, I've got to tell a story about this. But what I didn't realize when I was until I started researching a little bit more, is that as well as it taking 8,000 deliveries to build a nest of that size, they build up to five or six of these nests every single year. <laughs> they don't reuse them, they just make a new one. And this is their hobby, this is their life. Uh, this is what they do. I, very strange uh, 
pattern. So those sorts of things, just the more you know, the more surprising you, you find them, I think. Um, and yeah, so loads of those sorts of really interesting little facts that uh, I find interesting and I hope other people do as well. Well, you know, now that you've done all this additional research to, you know, make sure everything in the book is uh, is good and, you know, accurate, I bet you would be a fantastic person to sit down with a beer and just talk the <laughs> night away about bird facts. So what is it that you want folks to take away from 101 Curious Tales of East African Birds? I, I think that there is something for everyone. I hope that there's something for everyone. If you're an expert birder and detailed ornithologist, I'm pretty convinced that there are stories in here that you probably don't know, uh, at least a few of them. Um, but I really want it to be for everyone who's somewhere in the middle as well. You know, if you're just a little bit interested in birds, whether you're interested specifically in East African birds or birds in general, I think that there are stories here uh, that will make you just want to know a bit more. And that's what it is. It's to take it from, okay, I know what that bird is, to I know a little bit about that one. And that makes me think more things. So I'm always, whenever I go out with students, what I want them to do is ask another question. And if if what you take away is a curious, I want to know something more. What What's the next question? Uh, then that's that's the best thing for me. Find out more about the next 100 birds or 101. <laughs> so what advice do you have for folks about birding East Africa? And they, they just don't know what to start. What do you tell them? Uh, well, uh, that's a really good question. I think um, there are so many species of bird in East Africa. It can be pretty overwhelming to start with. So um, make sure you've got yourself a good field guide. <laughs> uh, that's that's the starting point for, for any trip. But then um, you may be thinking, OK, I'm going to go to East Africa and it's a once in a lifetime trip. I'm just going to do this. So I've got to see everything. Well, you can forget it, really. You can't see everything. Um, and probably if you're like me, if you um, you go once and then you're hooked uh, and then what your once in a lifetime trip becomes a much more frequent thing. So don't worry about trying to see everything. That's probably the first thing. Just pick a few places to go to and spend a little bit longer in each of them. The distances are big uh, around East Africa. You can drive for days and days um, and you don't want to spend your your trip trying spend more time in the car uh, than out in the field looking at the birds. So I always recommend people try and spend at least a couple of nights in everywhere. Don't do any just one night overnight stops. Two, three nights, you'll see more, you'll enjoy it more, and then you'll want to come back for more, and that'll be fine because it'll, the rest will wait for next time. <laughs> um, and there are also some really good local guides uh, in many of these places, and um, you can hook up with them uh, for a, a a trip that'll that'll really help particularly in the forest areas and things like that where uh, you have to find the birds by sound to begin with so yeah be nice to some of those guides <laughs> so there's um uh, there's a lot of birders that you know they want to go on specific like birding trips uh to east africa but then there's also of course you know like the the big five sort of trips do you um recommend like for a you know intermediate birder uh do you think the big five trips are still worth it or should they go specifically with a bird trip um so i think that because the uh the wildlife in general is so spectacular uh, in East Africa. An awful lot of the 
the birding trips include a pretty significant um, chunk of, of some of those big five type safari things. So um, I think that a lot of the really the dedicated bird tours themselves, they have fantastic guides, uh, but they are they they feel to me a bit like I'm running a marathon and they're moving people around an awful lot. You could easily exhaust yourself. And yeah, you'll see a few things, but I'd say I would go a bit slower um, and I would uh, be trying to mix mix things up. Do see some of those uh, amazing sites. Serengeti is out of this world. If you haven't been and seen the wildebeest migration in Serengeti, it is something to... That, yeah, your, your television screen gives nothing to the sounds and the, the yeah, and all of that. It's even for me as a, a passionate birder, uh, that is um, a site that I would recommend for anyone uh, if you get the chance. Um, and actually, Serengeti from the the birding side, it's it's great, but it's probably not the best place. Um, but it's still worth going. <laughs> uh, there, there are really nice birds there. Um, uh, and there are some uh, endemics that are only found in the sort of Serengeti Mara ecosystem, um, but you've got to have long enough to appreciate the, the predators and just the, wow, the wildebeest migration. A million and a half wildebeest marching around in a big circle. It's uh, an extraordinary sight. Well, that sounds amazing. I know I definitely want to go see that sort of thing. So uh, can we look forward to other curious tales on the horizon? <laughs> um well there are uh, there are more stories that's for certain there are many more birds <laughs> um it's a, it's a possibility i wouldn't rule it out i did enjoy writing the book uh and i just need more time i think there's uh so many things i want to do um I, i'm really keen on writing a a field guide to the ecology of east african protected areas uh so that might be the the next one but after that i'll probably come back to birds <laughs> well thank you so much for your time and for joining me for this um you know i have really enjoyed reading your book and i look forward to finishing it <laughs> and then you know hearing more about the curious tales so are you still doing the birds at tea uh on twitter um i'm still trying to but i've been a little bit uh uh lack uh lapse recently other things have piled up but uh, i've got a whole bunch of stories uh, lined up and I have been taking out I got, I got a new camera so I've taken a, a bunch of pictures with some stories to go uh, and I'm looking forward to being back in East Africa for uh, a couple of months um, in a few weeks time so there'll be even more to come there and I'll try and share some of those adventures uh, with people on Twitter as well awesome well look forward to it thank you so much yeah thank you very much it's been a pleasure to chat <laughs>